This week's episode is brought to you by the Hunter Banana Escalation Company. If you have to ask, you aren't allowed to know. Welcome to season three. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And we just got our uh, Communitor pictures in today. I know the official The official ones. Pictures. Not the ones that yes. we took, but like the official ones that Taken by they our, took. our guides, yes. And there was about a thousand of them, so yeah. you know. I figured with all the people on the trip, we probably have close to twenty or twenty-five thousand photos. And that of this. is way too many <laughs> to go through, <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh, I just want the ones with me in it, and that's all. That, that's it. Yeah, I'm making my own wallpaper. That's of probably myself. all of them, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I know we were <laughs> maybe ninety percent of them. But hey, that's okay. It was all about us, wasn't it? Well, yes, that goes without <laughs> saying, but still. <laughs> But they'll they'll be appearing periodically, uh, especially on the Facebook page now. All those cool ones, especially with Lucky the Dinosaur, and uh, oh yeah, even one that pertains to this episode as well. But we'll get Ooh. into that later. So so people need to follow us. They need to go to Facebook.com/slash Communicore Weekly, become fans of the page to see all these awesome photos. And we're not even gonna charge anybody for them. No, of course not. We're just gonna milk this for as long as it, we possibly can. Obviously, <laughs> yes, we will. It's time for Disney History! Now, we always usually ask what topics you guys want us to cover, and one of the ones that really comes up a lot is the Kitchen Cabaret. And the problem is, is that not a lot of known is about the history of the show itself and, and its development, just that it was there and it was really, really bizarre. Um, however, it is definitely one of the most uh, beloved attractions that ever graced Epcot Center, and so it's definitely worth talking about a little bit. So, when Epcot Center opened in October of 1982, this was one of the opening day attractions. Uh, it was located in the Land Pavilion and was presented by Kraft, and the show delivered a musical primer in the basic nutrition in the four food groups. Uh, that's right, the four food groups, because back in 1982, <laughs> there was still only four, unlike the five that we, that we all know today. And the fifth one is Communicore Fruit? Yes. Or veggies, something like that? Something like that. Ah, okay, anyway. So there is a cute story eh, about the making of the show that Rolly Crump recounted in the book, It's Kind of a Cute Story, uh, which you should buy it. Everybody should have three copies of it. In it, he says, I remember the characters that were in the Kitchen Cabaret were some pretty original and stylized creations. Everything was in the middle of getting sculpted when I got a call from one of my guys telling me that John Hench wanted us to redesign all the characters. I went down there and found John ranting and raving, saying that what we did were not the typical Disney characters. He wanted us to have Disney-type characters in the show, otherwise he felt it wasn't going to be successful. He was talking about uh, the kind everyone was used to, with the three stripes on the white gloves and so on. And then Rolly also went on and continued, I listened to John rant and rave for a while about that and blow off some steam. When he started winding down, I said very calmly, John, let me ask you something. Wasn't there an Academy Award that Disney won one time that didn't feature any Disney-type characters called Toot Whistle Plunkin' Bloom? 
So John stared at me for a second and then just turned around and walked away. I broke his entire rant right there because you have to remember something doesn't always have to look like Mickey Mouse to work out for the best. I can just imagine John Hinch turning into like a Terminator at that point in time. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't Go, know why. Including the going back in time or? Yes, yes. And the one red eye and, you know, but that's okay. I hope we get All a right. picture like that of Photoshop from someone. <laughs> well, it'll show up three weeks later and be like, what is this? We don't remember saying we this. We don't remember saying this. Okay. So guests entered the show by going through a poster gallery, showing off the musical food acts that awaited them inside. After that, there was a waiting area, made to look like the back alleys of a city where singing food was, of course, a common thing. Though, So then the hostesses would let guests know when it was time to go in, and everyone would file into the theater. The theater faced a large stage that had two smaller stages to either side. A craft logo was sewn onto the main curtain, and directly above the curtain was an Art Deco kitchen cookware marquee with the show's name rendered in glowing neon. An announcer's voice started the show, Ladies and gentlemen, Kraft proudly presents a show that has the whole town cooking, The Kitchen Cabaret. And now here's your hostess, Bonnie Appetit. Do not quit your day job. I know, that's why I just never get... <laughs> it's like, no, thank you, we'll call you. Yes. Exactly. And then they don't. And then they never do. So, Bonnie Appetit, I do, I do remember that character fondly. <laughs> Uh, she she was an actual like a real life person woman or uh, you know animatronic but like a human animatronic. Uh, she was dressed really like Betty Crocker in a way, uh, but she was not looking forward to making her next meal. She she used to be saying, um, she seemed kind of depressed about it too because she sang about her mealtime uh, blues, and uh, she revealed her kitchen at the end of that song. And of course the the kitchen was much larger than actual size and it was filled with uh, gigantic appliances that she would use. Uh, and then, like magic, the kitchen crackpots, uh, the kitchen's house band, uh, they came out of the cabinets and they started singing. And uh, all of them were oversized condiments, uh, all of them craft branded uh, packaging. So a, a mayonnaise jar led the group on beet and tuna can percussion, accompanied by barbecue sauce on a whisk bass, Parmesan cheese on a measuring cup guitar, mustard on sax, and horseradish on a matchstick piano. They sang a quick little tune about the food groups with Bonnie, who by that time had made a costume change into a glittering Vegas-style outfit. Now, Bonnie went on to introduce the first of the four acts of the show, Mr. Dairy Goods and his stars in the Milky Way. And that, of course, is when the refrigerator opened, and out from the cold came uh, Mr. Goods and his three lovely stars. Now, Goods was a milk carton, and his female companions were Miss Cheese, Miss Yogurt, and Miss Ice Cream. And after their number, the next act was the Serial Sisters, and they came from a cabinet above the sink. And that trio was made up of Rennie Rice, Connie Corn, and Marjorie Oates. And they told the story of the Toast of the Town, who was uh, a loaf of bread who played a mean trumpet. And in their words, uh, he started with some dough, and then he rose to be a star. And meanwhile, the Toast, he, uh, he popped up in a couple of different places, and he cracked up a, a few notes from his horn while they were singing about him. Bonnie returned to the stage after their number, but was shortly interrupted by ham and eggs. Of course, ham was a pot roast, and Mr. Eggs was an egg. And both of them went on with the vaudevillian act, accompanied by a banjo and a tuba. Eventually, they went back into the oven. Fun fact, though Mr. Eggs also appeared in Epcot Computer Central's A Studio Computer Review in the Communicore, showing off how the computers control the auto animatronics at Epcot Center. 
And I, for one, think that, you know, we could have done ham and eggs brilliantly. I think we probably could have, we probably actually. Have, so. <laughs> actually, Mr. Eggs, I think, at the time was the only animatronic that appeared in two places at once uh, in okay. Epcot Center. Makes sense. I think. Makes sense. Think. So <laughs> after, after they came out, uh, the final act began there, and then the lights got low, and there were spotlights all over the place, and they eventually landed on a basket of fruit and vegetables that had been sitting on the counter since the very beginning of the show. And all of them turned around to reveal human faces. And these musical groups were known as the Calendar Combo and the Fiesta Fruit. And sang what was to became, uh, become the show's uh, signature number, Veggie Veggie Fruit Fruit. And uh, <sighs> are you are you doing that because you want to? I'm being good. Okay. I'm being good. Are you sure? So, I'm, I'm very I'm sure. sure. <laughs> Just keep going. Okay. Keep going. All right. Just making sure. So when when they were singing that number, Bonnie actually descended from the ceiling on a crescent moon, and it was, she was kind of dressed like Carmen Miranda, and she helped to sing along. The show ended with Bonnie returning to the stage in her original outfit and joining all the food in the kitchen for an encore. She helped to reiterate the show's main message about the four food groups and nutrition. And then, boom, show over. Thanks for coming. I mean, but not us. I mean, keep listening. Yeah, that was yeah, the that show. Kitchen Cabaret Show, yeah. I'm not entirely sure how all that helped her choose what she was going to eat or or make and it doesn't really address the fact that she was probably going to have to kill yep. some of that living food in the kitchen in order to make whatever she was going to do but yep. uh overall it was a pretty interesting show <laughs> and it, it may not be one of the first things that people remember about early epcot center it, it was still a great show it was it was really thoughtfully planned coherent and played well into Epcot's original message of edutainment and the music was catchy. However, you know, as the years went on, a lot of the information in the show became outdated, including the number of food groups and the fact that Kraft no longer sponsored the pavilion. So when Nestle took over, a new show was created, which opened in 1994. And that show, of course, was Food Rocks, which was another kind of uh, off the wall bizarre show. Uh, it, it was kind of themed as a benefit concert for Good Nutrition, and it was hosted by Food Rapper. Uh, and he was voiced by the real-life rapper, uh, Tone Locke. Um, but throughout the course of the show, it, it was constantly interrupted by Excess, which was a, a junk food heavy metal band that detested nutrition. And it's also noteworthy because Rolly actually came back to work on this project as well to help, help kind of put the new show together. Yeah, I'm sure there are some heavy metal bands that eat well. Yeah, not all of them have to be, you know not yeah. eating well and, and food rapper might be the best name ever 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 created for a character and he had i don't a, know we'll see what people say yeah yeah i mean he was basically just a food rapper let's anyway okay let's jump back into this though <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna on track as i anyway okay so again from it's kind of a cute story the phenomenal book roly says i got jim steinmeier another imagineer to help me out on this one we thought it would be neat to have the different fruits become caricatures of popular musicians and play parodies of their songs. We thought of some good rock songs and came up with new lyrics that had to do with nutrition in eating healthy. Rolly continued, We both loved the Beach Boys, especially the song Good Vibrations, so we had to get them in there. We turned that into Good Nutrition, sung by the Peach Boys. Once we got that done, the rest of the songs just came naturally. Jim did a wonderful job of writing all the new lyrics. Since we were using rock songs, we thought Food Rocks would be a great name for the show. Especially since we were all turning all of these since we were turning all of these foods into rock and roll bands, we just thought it fit well. 
They realized that they had to contact all the recording companies to get their approval to use the songs, though, and had to go through uh, legal, which they thought was going to be a nightmare. But luckily, legal signed off and the artist signed off the deal without hesitation. A lot of the musicians whose songs were parodied were also okay with the idea and gave them the go-ahead. However, a select few loved the idea so much that they even recorded new versions of the songs themselves. Which is kind of cool, actually. Yep. I kind of like that. But uh, unfortunately, the show closed in 2004 when Epcot decided they needed to uh, put in a terrible, terrible flying simulation ride instead of an educational <laughs> show. So that is unfortunate. <laughs> But uh, part of the stage is actually still there. It's actually behind the walls for the queue of this terrible uh, flooding simulation ride. But um, that's okay. So, so every time you do walk by or you're stranded in the queue for what seems like seven or eight days. You're going under the assumption that I'm actually going. No, I meant um, the, the oh, you mean other people. cadets. Okay, the cadets that are listening, the um, ones who want to experience it. Just sing a little bit of veggie veggie fruit food to keep you going. Yes. Down that long, lonely mile. He's a nerd, he's a geek, because we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. The Art of Disney Golden Books by Charles Solomon. I remember when I was little, you know, like last week, um, hours upon hours of sitting in my room and devouring my collection of little golden books. That does seem pretty accurate for last week. It does, it does. Really. <laughs> I was depressed from being home from the communitor, So, But, you know, like so many other people, I've got really vivid memories of a handful of little golden books that, that really took me to other places and took me on a voyage with some of my favorite characters. I would sit for hours and look at the illustrations without even really needing to read it. And then, you know, I would sit down with my mom and she would read them to me until I was old enough to sign out the words by myself. You know, obviously I was talking about before I was in kindergarten. Um, this was last week? Yeah, it was last week. So <laughs> <laughs> I graduated. Yay! <clears throat> no, so the illustrations themselves in the books spoke so well and influenced countless number of illustrators and animators. And Disney just released The Art of Disney Golden Books by Charles Solomon. And it's a pretty big book, but I think this one might be worthwhile adding to your collection, especially if you enjoy the little golden books. So, golden books in Disney have a long history of publishing film-related tie-ins and storybooks based on their characters. And a lot of Disney's more prominent and important artists have illustrated golden books, including Mary Blair, John Hench, Al Dempster, and Gustav Tangren, who did a lot of the Snow White stuff and many, many, many more. And the Golden Books have seen a resurgence over the past few years, and a lot of current Disney and Pixar films are being done by the actual directors and producers who also see it as a huge honor. And, you know, it would be pretty simple to end the review just telling you guys how beautiful the book is and that the amazing illustrations are more than worth the price of the book. But there's more to the book than just the illustrations. I've reviewed other books by Charles Solomon, He's a very well-respected animation historian, and his books on Disney art and artists are almost unparalleled. His book, Enchanted Drawings, The History of Animation, is a must-have for any animation fan. Okay, so the text by Solomon is really what makes the book even better. He digs deep into the history and presents some great information about the creation and growth of the Little Golden Books over their more than 70-year run. And as expected, it gets a little more interesting once Disney enters the picture and their partnership is formed. So he, he talks about before they even get in, before Disney yes. was publishing yeah. the books with them. How Little Golden started, and that's really when it took off, was okay. when Disney yeah, yeah. 
jumped in with their own movie tie-ins. Yeah. Gotcha. So Solomon then interviewed a lot of current artists, animators, film producers about their history with Golden Books and how influential that artwork was. And for many, as I mentioned earlier, their ultimate honor and tribute was being able to create a Golden Book of their own. Solomon shares quotes from a variable who's who in animation about how the Golden Books influence them and create a feeling of love and nostalgia for the art form. So Solomon covers the beleaguered, beleaguered history of the imprint and shares the story of how the company went through a series of acquisitions and bankruptcy. And then we met, meet Ken Shu at Disney Publishing, who got a call one day and said that the warehouse that had a lot of the art was being sold and they needed to get the artwork. And he rescued a bulk of the art from uh, being destroyed or sold off, which is the whole reason we have this book in the first place. And almost all of it comes from that, the artwork that he saved. Uh, and after the acquisition of the art, we learn more about how it was archived and preserved. And in many case, cases, actually, of the art, the art recovered were original paintings by Hench, Blair, and the others itself. Wait, really? Yeah, the actual artwork that they created was used to print. Oh, wow. The books. So they had that. the original prints, yeah. Uh, to me, this is an example of a Disney history book that was done very, very, very well. I think it was like three or four varies. Um, not only does it show off absolutely spectacular art by some of the best Disney artists, but Solomon is able to weave an engrossing history of the book series and the Disney artists themselves. The book is completely accessible uh, for laypersons, for fans of Golden Books, and for Disney historians. And if you have any interest in the art from the Disney Golden Books, then I urge you to pick up this book. You really won't be disappointed. This book uh, for this week was The Art of Disney Golden Books by Charles Solomon. Sometimes it's a one. Sometimes it's a two. When you gotta go, what you gonna do? It's a bathroom break. A bathroom break. This one is kind of like the holy grail of uh, bathroom breaks, if you will. I think that's the only way to accurately describe this one. I, yeah, I agree. And uh, we were very lucky to actually get a photograph of it because they generally don't allow photographs in there. But uh, this week, we're, we're taking a look at Walt's personal bathroom in his apartment at Disneyland for the bathroom break. So Yeah, we, we got a special tour of this, you know, as part of the community tour. I know we'll keep saying this over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, at the end of the week, the, the tour guides understood that we had a particular fondness for restrooms. <laughs> since we, we kept stopping and taking since pictures we kept stopping of them all. and taking photos. So I have to ask one of the guys, I said, we know it's against the rules, but if there's any way we could get a photo of the two of us standing in front of the bathroom, they said, yeah. We'll, we'll sneak something through. So, but uh, this is a really interesting bathroom because Walt's apartment of Ma above Main Street is pretty small. Yes. You know, you've got an entryway, you've got a kitchenette, you've got an area with two fold-out uh, single beds. Single I beds, guess. yeah, is what they were. Single work. beds. And then you've got the little walkway that takes you to the patio um, that's uh, above the restrooms, I guess. Above the public restrooms. You the should, public you restrooms on Main Street. So there's not a lot of space. Uh, and then when you go around the corner, you can get a glimpse of the bathroom. And first up is a changing room, yes, I guess you call it. Because you have to go into the changing room before you get into the bathroom. I mean, it was, again, very small, small area that the both of us could barely fit inside. But mm -hmm. there were a, it was a mirrored closet. They had a, a tray filled of, uh, I guess, artifacts of that used to be there when Walt was there. There was a, a brush that mm -hmm. probably has his DNA on it for people who were into that kind of thing. <laughs> um, there were a couple little odds and ends on it, too, but I, I don't 
particularly remember any any of them. No, I think we're so excited. And, you know, the bathroom was done in a 1950s pink. Yes. Yeah, it was It was very pink. It was very, very pink, which is okay. We're not doubting Walt's masculinity. No, no. I just, it was just, it's just an interesting color scheme, especially for me as a colorblind person. I was still <laughs> able to tell how pink it was. And, you know, it had a toilet and a sink. And, and the toilet seemed rather low to the ground. Yeah, I, yeah, that was one of the first things I noticed. It was definitely smaller and lower to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe and that was a size constraint thing, considering how small the actual bathroom itself it, was. It could have been, yeah. Or everybody was shorter back then. That's true. They could have been shorter. Could have been that way. And then there was a shower stall, which was a little unique in the fact that for something that was built in the 1950s, it had multiple shower heads. Yes. And I think uh, one of the guys said he got that idea from uh, a foreign country that he visited. I forget which one it was, but you could turn <laughs> just any of them, country. just one of them. <laughs> you could turn them all on at once, or you can tur- turn like specific ones on, but it had four shower heads at varying levels, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was an exciting. I hate to say it's uh, hands down it's probably the penultimate Disney bathroom at yeah. this point in time. Unfortunately, uh, not one that anyone can use, but no, it's still pretty cool to go in and check it out. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look what's that? It's a five-legged goat. So this week's goat is a little different than normal. It's it's not really a physical one that you can see in any particular place, but you can see it uh, on cast members actually. And uh, that is about the two finger point. And I'm kind of going to reiterate a story that we heard from our, our friend, our cast member friend Ryan, who gave us a tour of 1901 while on the community tour. Now, you know, a lot of the cast members do the two finger point uh, just when they're pointing at things. And that's because, or the common story is because it's rude in some countries to use one finger to point. But also, there's another reason for that. Now, there's a lot of photos of Walt back in the day where he is having the the two finger point. And uh, the reason for that is because he actually had a cigarette in his hand for a lot of those uh, photos. And they digitally altered them to take the cigarette out of it. So uh, the the two finger point kind of came about... uh, by accident, because he was holding a cigarette, and they just some people just assumed he was pointing at some things with two fingers. So it just kind of stuck around. Yeah, it's an interesting, a different type of goat that you'll see in books and documentaries as well, not just in the parks. Yes, yeah, exactly. So you'll see a little bit everywhere. Okay, guys, well, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode. Yes, be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. You can always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. What were they supposed to email us? Something Photoshop, some photo or something? See, we even talked about the beginning of the already show. Already forgot and it. And I totally forgot already, so it doesn't already even matter. Already forgot it. So oh, well, remind somebody us. will remember and they'll send us something. So. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. I do remember us saying we're going to post a lot of communicator photos, the official ones on there. So, <laughs> yes, a reason to like the page yes. if you've made it this far. Please yes. like us on Facebook so you can keep up with a lot of the photos. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck, and you'll see a little bit more of our more daily personal life in those shots. I'm sure there'll be a lot of Throwback Thursdays on those two from some of those official photos like, as well. Just like, like a week or two later, that's yes, it. So. exactly. <laughs> Throwback Thursday to this morning. Yes. Um, you can also call us and leave us a message on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. Well, that's right. You could leave us a voicemail and tell us which is your favorite photo from the Communitor. I think that's a great idea. Of course. Of course. The answer all right. is all of them, of course. All of them. <laughs> the ones with George in them are awesome. Eh, um, <laughs> I don't know about that one. 
Okay, well, speaking of awesome, there's still time. It's like it's ever going to go away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's never going, going away. You always say away. there's still time. But there's still time because I feel like there's an urgency we need to get. You can still download your copy of Communicore, the weekly, the musical at Amazon, CD Baby, iTunes, anywhere great music is sold. Listen to it on Spotify. We just want you to love the musical as much as we do. Did we mention it's free on Spotify? You could just it listen to it. It is free on Spotify. You can listen to it. And then you can go buy it. If you, I mean, if you're so inclined. Because we, we love the support. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Yeah.